I still think in the educational system, in the collegiate system, there is this gap of making the entrepreneur. And a lot of times this gap was like, well, they just have to be that kind of person, you know, best of luck. And just like when we would talk about musicianship, it was, well, do you have the gift or not? And a Suzuki pianist, you know, Japanese, said there's no such thing as talent. There's only hard work. And I really liked that, you know. And my attitude is, what an exciting time in the 21st century. You know, it used to be where, God, I hope we get a record deal, you know, and I hope we get to go in the studio someday. And, man, I hope somebody, you know, recognizes me at the club and I hope I get that world tour. And it was all of these kind of larger images that weren't really attainable that we would follow out of uni. And I just feel like right now, like I can create all of my own media. I can create my own copy. I can create my own videos. Um, you know, I can propagate this and push this out. So basically, if I'm not doing well, it's my fault. Yeah, and the funny thing, the beautiful thing about entrepreneurship is you see that happen daily. You realize... You just invest in, say, two grand weekend, you see results the next week, four grand return. After a while, you realize the power of investing in your own knowledge because, you, you know, you, you start seeing more opportunities and the opportunities you realize are actually all around me the, the whole time. I just never saw them until he showed me where to look. Welcome to the Do What You Love show, the place where musicians, artists and entrepreneurs share their inspiring stories and advice on how to succeed in the music business. Every week you'll receive new insights and tips on how to grow your following, get more gigs and make a living in today's rapidly changing music industry. Thanks for tuning in with us. Now, let's begin the show and do what we love. Welcome back to all the creators, Steve Jazz here and we are coming to you live from Studio 705 in this special live Facebook broadcast interview and Q&A with Martin Case who comes as a Berkeley College alumni and has worked for Harvard University, now works at JMC Music Academy, is a professional musician, producer and mentor. The conversation presents a diagnosis of current issues for musicians and artists in the new music industry, exposing some revealing truths about the higher education system and provides some crucial advice and practical marketing tips that you can use right away to start building your music brand, your loyal following and making money as a musician in today's music business. We are excited to have him live in the studio. Here is my interview with Martin Case. Okay. Um, my name is Martin Case. I'm a multimedia producer. Um, I'm a composer. I'm also a performing musician. Um, I think in this field, we wear many hats. I'll be a producer at one point. I'm an educator at another point. Um, and how I started was the same as Steve. You know, I thought going to uni was the right thing to do. And don't get me wrong. I think uni was a great place to get the skill set on the bass, performance, how to compose, all of those kind of things. Um, there's all these other aspects in order to be a solvent musician working in the field to be pro. And fortunately I had venture cap people, I had different leaders, I had business leaders who educated me slowly over time to craft me into the kind of person who understood about listening to others, uh, collaborative work, how to hire people, how to present yourself. 
And I'd say it took me about till 35 or 36 years old to get all those skills where I finally felt successful enough and affluent enough to be able to really move and to help in the industry. Um, and I think one of the things I'm seeing now is university can give you those skills for your craft. But I really think that there's a big gap here happening where how to get it so that you can get out and really start working as an entrepreneur. And I think that's a very pragmatic kind of secret that you've got to get your hands on. I'm always looking at opportunities. I'm always looking at people and seeing how I can serve them and kind of put them to, together a package and how I can help their institution or their work. I'm already thinking, how can I help you with your album? How can I get you some friends in Nashville? You know, how can you serve others? And I think another thing that's really important is they say on the average, you and I are going to have seven or eight different whole careers before we retire, you know, and that's a lot, you know, and to go to like, say university is a hundred thousand dollars for four years, $50,000 a year. You can't do that seven or eight times. That's just, that's just crazy. And then the other thing I thought was really interesting was a person in their fifties who said, how was I supposed to know what I wanted to do with my life at 18 years old? I got a hundred thousand dollar education now and I have to apply this and I have to use it. So I just feel like in today's world, rather than going to uni and having, so we build the skills and coming out and having no idea how to market yourself and to move. My feeling is if you can walk in sync, each of these is a process. I'm better musician today than I was yesterday than I was 15 years ago. But the truth is, when I listen to those albums, okay, I'm not playing as fast. Maybe I'm not as smart on those albums in my early 20s. But man, they feel great. They're filled with passion and they're wonderful. And if I can marry that growth process and know that, you know, I'm going to get better every day before I die, serving others and making a great album. If I marry that with these business skills, instead of waiting to 37 to figure out, get it done after 12, 15, 20 weeks, and then you walk that path together. So that's where I'm kind of coming from us, like where we can have that gap filled in through institutions such as these, where we're cognizant of, of course, we love our music. We want to have that rock solid, but we really need to acknowledge and do this other part. And I'll give you a small story is I was writing, um, I was writing charts, charts, I don't know if you use that word, sheet music for my band. It was a 10 piece band at the time. And um, so I hired a guy. You know, I would scrawl it out on a piece of paper and he would take it and he would put it into Sibelius and he'd give it back to me and I paid him, I don't know, $5 a page. And I looked at this guy and I have a bachelor's degree and he has a master's degree in music. And I said, how is it that you have a master's degree and I have a bachelor's and yet I'm paying you $5 a page. And he said to me, well, I got my first composing job, got my master's degree, got the job, wrote out, you know, the she music took the sheet music, went to the client and handed it to him. He said, there's your composition. And the client said, what the hell is this? I need a CD. So this guy has a master's degree in how to compose, but he doesn't know how to run the computer, doesn't know how to record, doesn't know how to make an album, doesn't know how to get it up online, doesn't know how to present it to the client, doesn't know how to run troops, troops being musicians. And it was a real eye opener for me because here he has the better education, but I'm this guy's boss. And that's when it really started to dawn on me that this work from venture caps, this work talking to leaders about how to, you know, get your worlds together. You know, the pragmatic process of 
you know, getting your websites, getting your photo shoot. It's the 21st century. You know, 20, 30 years ago, we had to knock on doors. You know, now we can do this all ourselves. And yeah, it's going to, it's going to be bad. You're going to be bad at it. You know, get a friend to help you or keep working on it. Third one will be better. Fourth one will be better. And I really think if you stay consistent, you think as an entrepreneur with the skills that we can show you very soon, then you can have, you know, your skills monetized. And this is your day job. So Martin, tell us what was the moment when you discovered that, you know, it wasn't just about music in this case. Tell us, take us back to that time when you started to realize that all this, you know, all this knowledge, all this crafting, uh, and, you know, developing a craft wasn't going to get you to, you know, Tell us about that. Yeah, and I actually talk this about my students. Um, I use the term ego death because I have um, I have students and prospective clients come in, and it's all about them and this new album, which is about you know their boyfriend and their girlfriend and how sad it is. And so they wrote in, "You want to hear about my my relationship? Do you do? You? Um, no, you don't. Right? And so what happened was I started realizing instead of me trying to say, will you buy my music? Will you buy my music? Notice the word me and my. You know, so it's all about me. So I went on, underwent a process where it's, I stopped using the word I. And I started looking at you and how I can serve you and how I can help. And if you look at all the great leaders, you know, all the religious leaders for thousands of years, one of the highest things to attain is serving others. So for me personally, I sat down and I said, okay, me talking about my girlfriend on my albums isn't making so much money. Yet I have this skill set. I know how to make albums. I know how to make photo shoots. I know how to make websites now. By serving others and looking at their work, I use my skill set. And that's one of the things that I started doing is going out and seeing how I can help communities and how I can help other artists. And now, I don't know how many albums I've got going on or how many of my clients have interviews or video shoots. I'm working more now, composing, producing, performing than, than I ever was because I made it not about me. And so that was a big kind of switch in my development. And then the other thing was to think this. I was talking to, I think it was you. What's your name? Boris. Boris. I like that he called himself a producer and an engineer. You know, and I looked at Australia's statistics. And your musicians make about $30,000 a year. Sad. But producers make $100,000 a year. Now, how many of you use a computer to record your music? Okay. Boom. You're all producers. You just went up to 100,000. Next question. A lot of it's semantics and how you process yourself. You know, 10 years ago, I was a composer. I was a saxophone player. Now I'm a multimedia producer. So now my skill set has been represented to a, well, to a point that, you know, I can serve and help a lot more people with these tools I have. Fantastic. Thanks. So you started to obviously diversify and not just focus on one particular area. Yeah. Became a producer. You became someone that you obviously mentor someone that could build good relationships with people, find opportunities, uh, and work on those opportunities and really seek a problem or a gap in the market. Let's talk a bit about the market. You know, where has it come? Obviously, you know, this is these are the days of personal branding evolution, right? So, you know, we started back hundreds of years ago without the technology, without the internet, it was all about, you know, getting really personal with, you know, your favorite musicians and going to see them live. Then obviously, you know, technology came in and um, companies, obviously record companies came in and had all the relationships with all the media distributors and, um, you know, radio, TV, 
and they basically had the power to distribute your music and broadcast it. Okay, so obviously record contracts and, and record deals came into the, the picture. Only in the last you know, 10, 15 years have we seen the decline of music sales probably by about 7% uh, since the internet came out and obviously the, the rise again of personal branding through you know, independent um, careers. So being an independent person these days, an independent professional is, is one thing, but then also having a personal brand is, is actually relative to any particular industry in, in, in today's age. So, tell us a little bit about how you, I guess, you've, you've worked in across a multitude of institutions, you've seen people come into different courses, traditional courses, some not so traditional. What is your view on how, I guess, musicians are now being educated to thrive in today's economy? What is your view on that? Um, I still think in the educational system, in the collegiate system, there is this gap of making the entrepreneur. And a lot of times this gap was like, well, they just have to be that kind of person, you know, best of luck. And just like when we were talking about musicianship, it was, well, do you have the gift or not? And a Suzuki a pianist, you know, Japanese, said there's no such thing as talent. There's only hard work. And I really liked that, you know. And my attitude is, what an exciting time in the 21st century. You know, it used to be where... God, I hope we get a record deal, you know, and I hope we get to go in the studio someday. And man, I hope somebody, you know, recognizes me at the club and I hope I get that world tour. And it was all of these kind of larger images that weren't really attainable that we would follow out of uni. And I just feel like right now, like I can create all of my own media. I can create my own copy. I can create my own videos. Um, you know, I can propagate this and push this out. So basically, if I'm not doing well, it's my fault. There's no big door I have to walk through. There's nobody I have to impress. The biggest things I have to do is make sure I have that skill set, if I have the right plan to do that. I really try to collaborate as much as I can, getting your name out there, getting your work out there. Um, and I think that is the big gap that is missing between like a normal university, so to speak, and coming out. And then coming out of a place like this where it's like, okay, my music, I'm on the journey. You know, my business, I'm on the journey. Nowadays, you know, people say to me, they go, well, you know, I'm having a hard time finding work and I don't know how to get my music out there. And I'm like, well, how many social media platforms do we have? Do you know, how many, how many people have television sets in their home? How many people have, what do they call it, Foxtel around here? Right? How many stations does that have? Oh, 30 or more? No. 40 gazillion. Oh, more. <laughs> At my house, I can go <laughs> eight, 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 it. and it's, it's, yeah. But they all have music behind it. Every single one. You know, so I look at it as if you can't get work in the 21st century, you never could get work. This is the easiest time to get work. And just when you think about the old days with the record companies, they say for you to sign with a record company and to make a profit was seven times more unlikely to happen than being struck by lightning. Those are just the odds. So, you know, now it's, it's just me. I got to Okay, I got to get a computer. Got to get the mates. Got to get the vision, got to get things strong, but I'm empowered. And then when it doesn't work, I love making things my fault. Because when it's my fault, that means I still have power. If I make it somebody else's fault, I'm like, oh, you know, if only that person didn't do that. Well, then I'm a victim again. I can't do anything about it. So the short term, I feel good. But the longer term, it's always my fault. And I really think that's a great way 
to work. You know, I run bands, I run ensembles. If someone comes late, that's my fault. I'll tell you a fun story. I had this musician, kept coming two hours late, and we had an NPR interview. And I said, it's my fault he comes late. And you're asking me, how is it my fault? Well, if it's my fault, it means I can fix it. So I told him to come four hours early. <laughs> he still came two hours late, but he was two hours early. <laughs> right. And look, this, this really opens up a whole nother, uh, you know, kettle of fish, or kettle of worms, rather. But when we talk about the mindset of a musician, you know, we're very sensitive people, we're sensitive creatures. We tend to, you know, if it's stuck in our craft or in the studio practicing, I know for, for a fact I was in there for five to eight hours a day for years, Mark, Yeah. Right? And I believe that that was the way in. Here I have the piano. If I attain mastery, some at some point I'll be discovered. Great. Right. That was my equation. Now there are billions, well, millions of people who think the same way. Unfortunately, that's not the way it works. But you know, soon enough, I realised that you know I started branching out, diversifying. I did piano bar gigs. I started learning to sing. I started bands. You know, and I ended up having you know only a few hundred dollars. Uh, at gigs on the weekends, which wasn't enough to be able to, you know, even make thirty grand a year, um, let alone you know, a full-time wage, which these days is between sixty to eighty thousand dollars a year. Right? So it's about at minimum a thousand bucks a week, right? And that that realistically gives you the opportunity to, you know, have a mortgage, have a home, have families, uh, family holidays, uh, do the things you love, you know, um, and continue to invest in your career to continue to grow. But so I, you know, much like many people, most of the people going into university back, you know, t 20 years ago, I was indoctrinated into a system that took me through that model and came out, you know, and I was one of the very few who fortunately found a way to continue to do music full time, right? But it, it took me about six, seven, eight years to get to that point. So what happened? I came out of uni. Did multiple jobs. I finally landed a sales job at Telstra, you know, working at start off in consumer and on my phones. Still doing gigs and everything, you know, after six. So working nine to five, coming home at six, doing rehearsals and bands and gigs. But then what? I guess the biggest shift for me, and I think this is where you know Martin and I really connected, and it sort of gets a bit deeper. Is the mindset? You know, I discovered personal development and self development, and it was about the time that the secret came out and the law of attraction, all these great things. And I started to think a little bit differently. And someone said to me, you know, go along, uh, check out this guy Mitch, hear him, hear him talk, it'll just blow your mind. And I took a chance, and I heard this guy speak, and you know, he was basically offering a weekend on you know, transforming your mind, transforming your life. And there's a lot of schools and private organizations out there that are not in the public system, they're in the private system, that offer the real tools you need to make, um, I guess, to, to find your worth and to be able to share that with the world. Yeah, and then create an exchange, a monetary exchange, because that's what the market is, it's an exchange of current uh, values. and, and, and Essentially, you know, that's a monetary system that we're using today, which is now going into a digital currency very soon. So, I, I learned I learned something pretty profound at, in, in that moment, and from that point on, I <coughs> to, I started thinking more like an entrepreneur as opposed to an employee. I started taking risks that were aligned to my highest values that got me the rewards, 
I started, and that was the first time, guys, and I, this is probably the most important thing that I'm going to say that was the, the key. Someone had offered me an opportunity to invest with my own money in myself. It was about $2,000 for a weekend. Now, I was 26 at the time. That was a lot of money, a lot of money. And it was very scary for me to just invest that amount of money, right? But I, I, I did it. And on that Monday, I saw life was different. I started thinking differently. I was, I could say I was kind of unplugged from the system a little bit, but started to really understand that I have the value and the tools I need as a person to start to trade and, and help others with. Okay, so this is the part that a lot of people don't get past because you talked about this earlier. Me, 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 right? We're raised, we grow up, mom and dad, we're dependent on them. Then you have to find your independence. And a lot of people struggle in that period and don't move out of home for, you know, who knows, like perhaps when they're mid 20s. But even then, they might get into a relationship, get married, have kids. It's still mom and dad and still other people that are really seeking approval. Okay? And so I guess what happened then was for me, I was able to make my own decisions based on my true calling and really honor what that was and how my gifts were, were able to be transferred and given to others okay that's where the transfer and the energy and the, and the exchange happened and I realized this very early on and it took me about three years to really start to get clear on that and then start to have the guts and the courage to actually state that you know I'm not just a producer or a musician I help trans transform people's lives and my mission is to help you make a living doing what you love if I you know when I was 26, if I was to say that, I would choke in my own words because I didn't feel worthy of that. Right? I, I didn't feel like I was worthy, and that was an internal thing. Right? I had to get over all the judgments and all the mind. So I won't get too deep into this, but the point is there was a mindset shift that happened for me. Since then, I was able to create this, this place. Yeah, and you know, the company does extremely well. We've, got, you know, we've had over 3,000 members in the last eight years. And we're growing and you know we really I'm very grateful to be able to pass on all these tools. And so we teach these tools in, in phase three. When you've when you've got something and you've got a product and you've learned your craft and when you're ready to really, in my words, really grow up, you know, and become an independent person that can not just, you know, honor their gifts but use those gifts and, and link those with the marketplace. So I hope that makes sense. I think one of the things that uh, Steve is working on that made me really excited to come and work and talk with you and to serve this institution is we're really working on say three aspects one is we have our art and our craft right the other one is we have you know this us creating this media how do we do websites how do we do promo how do we get ourselves together there as a as a professional and then the other one is like just working on you basically as a person. And the fact that we're formalizing that and we're talking about it and how you feel. Everybody who loves me, all my friends, right? They don't listen to my albums. They don't care. And I used to think that was the most important. And the people that hire me, they usually don't hire me listening to any of my stuff. Same like how I hire people. You're cool. You got a good spirit. So what do you do? How do I pay you so I can keep him around? Do you know what I mean? And I think that, to cultivate that, hasn't really been talked about at uni and stuff like that. And it's a real, real core thing. I mean, what we want to do with our clients is we want to establish trust. We want to say we have a unique gift to offer. And then we start a relationship. 
And we weren't talking about those in uni. And to wit, I looked up one of my professors, you know, on those sites where you can read about your teachers and the teachers talk to each other and all that. And this professor was like, this kid's getting straight A's in his theory. You know, he's getting straight A's in his musicianship. He's a great musician, but he's a jerk. Can I tell him? Can I tell him no one's ever going to hire you? And he said, no, man. You're supposed to just teach him the notes. Make sure he can count to four. Get him on his way. And that was a big gap. And he was a good musician. And he was a kind of a jerk. So if you ask yourself, guys, I mean, you know, it's pretty obvious. You want to work with people that you share values with, that you get along with, and then and only then do you want to really look at what the offering is. Right? So this is this is what we're talking about essentially. And yes, you know, you have to learn your craft. You have to continue to build on that, and that's really important. That's super important. You've got to do your ten thousand hours. You've got to have that talent and skill developed. But it's not everything. Okay. It's definitely not everything. It's only, in, in my opinion, really probably one third, and you divide it into three parts. Yeah, I think. Equation. Sorry. No. Yeah. Um, I think one thing that's really exciting about this also is I don't call myself a saxophone player anymore. I call myself an artist or a producer, you know, multimedia, that kind of thing. And if you think about yourselves as artists and that you might switch your perspective a couple times, the nice thing is, is if you know how to build a package, if you know how to build a website, if you know how to create work, if you know how to get artists together, you can reinvent yourself with your own empowerment. I have a deep friend of mine. He's, um, he's a bass player, jazz bass player. And I just loved his playing. Well, then I call him up. I need a jazz bass player. And he goes, now I just do Irish fiddle music. I'm no longer a bass player. I'm reborn. I'm like painting the ass. Okay, I go to his website. He's a fiddle player. So then finally I get some fiddle gigs. Why? Because I like this guy. So I want to hang out with him. So I found work, right? I call him up again. He goes, I don't do any live performance. I'm a luthier. I only work on them by appointment only. I'm like, dude, I'm trying to get you work. And every time I'd go, he'd be reinvented, he'd have a new website, and he would be totally successful. Because he had, one is he was an artist in a variety of ways, so he didn't feel like he was leaving or abandoning his craft in his seven positions. Two, he had the skill set in order to pragmatically make these packages. And three, he had what we were talking about here, is cultivating the good person that people will trust, that people will come to depend on you, so that no matter where he moved, he was going to be successful. And it's that last part we're talking about the artistry. Uni's got that. More people are starting to talk about this multimedia empowerment coming on, you know? But to talk about cultivating the person, put all three of those together, bam. And I, I implore you, don't take 15 years. I had to read so many books and travel to far off lands and talk to the guy with the bone in his nose and, you know, it's so much in order to build my mind frame like this. And, you know, my brother here has gone on a similar path, you know, on the other side of the world, and we've come here. And I think the thing that's really exciting is I don't know any other institution that's taking all of that coalescence towards this field and offering it in education. So guys, let's open up to you guys. I guess we have some questions by now, hopefully. Um, yeah, so uh, if there's anyone online as well, please ask your questions. Um, yeah, shall we start? What is the go. capital of Zimbabwe? <laughs> Just figured I'd break the ice. This is obviously a live Q&A, so uh, we can, yeah? Yeah, sure. Um, Boris? Boris, yes. Nice. Thank you. 
Um, uh, so my question is about the gap between dedication and, uh, and and actually getting getting a job. Yeah. So because when I did when I did my ed my education back in Argentina. Yeah. It took me like two years to get one paid job. You know. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I was working for free all the time and doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I think I, I thought it was alright. I don't know if it's alright or not to work for free. But anyway. So, yeah, well, your experience, so how was in your own, own experience happened the same with you or... Oh, that, that's, that's a great... Uh, bring me down memory lane. These yeah. are good questions. <laughs> so let me get this right. So you, Boris, just for those of you who joined us, yeah. you, you did your education and training and it's taken you a couple of years to get your first paid job. Yes, exactly. A couple of years. So in your mind, that wasn't what you expected. You expected perhaps, you know, having this degree and qualifications that somehow the work will come. Yes. Cool. Yeah. Right. So let's so talk about like that. Like expectations and... Yeah. But yeah. it didn't work like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but you. So, to, to, to know about you guys. Um, no. I, so I, uh, you know... I think what we're trying to do is maybe a half an hour older than you is make it so you don't have to do the same footsteps that we did, you know, and um, that's the whole point is that you get to stand on my shoulders without looking down bad at me and get the new view. And, um, you know, I went to, which was arguably the best and still is the best music college in the world. I went to Berkeley for four years, put in my time, you know, and at the time it had a 97% dropout rate. So I thought when I got out, I was, had the golden ticket, right? So let's see, um, dietary aid, I pureed the food for those who had to gum their food. That was my job. Um, dishwasher, you know, I wasn't good enough to be a waiter. Um, I dug trenches. I was the only guy who didn't go to prison and had a college degree. That was all my first year after college. And I started teaching piano. And I just happened to get lucky um, that the people I was teaching piano was piano to were millionaires, CEOs, you know, people who run trusts. I just happened to get lucky that my best friend's father was a venture cap guy and he believed in my passion. He got a couple grand to get a music studio going on. And that's where I got a lot of the knowledge on how to be a good person and how to do business speak and how to meet people on their side of the table and how to care about others and body language and what is your point and how are you serving somebody else. Um, and so that process began and that's how I started getting work. And when they saw I was cultivated as a decent enough person, because I was still that narcissistic animal wanting to push my own work, then work started coming in. And one of the things that I did originally was I would go to dance companies. I did 20 years in dance. I worked with Mark Morris, uh, worked at Harvard, MIT, all these dance companies where I started making it like not about my music, but about how I could serve with my music. And the fun thing about dance is if you ever work in modern dance, they come across the floor once, then they look at you and they go, okay, you're going to create something for us? Go. So it was awesome job. Now, was it what I wanted to do when I grew up? No, I wanted to be a film score writing in California. But it was the first time I started realizing, wow, if I offer a service rather than a product, if I bring my CD and try to shop it, that's one thing. But if I offer a service, then I start getting work. And what I found is when you offer a service, then that makes the product. So what happens is like with a lot of my albums, um, I have one that's a, called A Brief History, a collection of great dance songs to honor Pink Floyd. And each of those 20 tracks is, again, Harvard, Boston Ballet, MIT, each one is a commission where they paid me to write music for dance. So I offered them a service 
now I'm composing music that's better than I ever thought it would be. And then I put it in an album, so by the time I put it out an album, that's already paid me five figures. And it's my calling card for the next job, rather than creating an album and trying to push it. I look at albums right now as, as calling cards. I don't look at them as a way to make funds. You know, I really think it's a way to say like, this is what I do if you're interested. Oh, do you want me to do a demo for you? No, I don't do that. Here you go. Now I'll meet you halfway on the bridge. You know, what are you looking for for music and what am I providing? You know, and I think that has to be each of your own individual's conversations. If you are working on covers right now, but you're starting work on originals, you know, at first you'll be like, these are my originals. That's your product. Hopefully you'll sit down eventually with an artist and say, okay, what's going on in your life? Are you a single mom? Are you a 70 year old guy? You know, what is going on in your life? And then you breathe that person in. And then, you know, having no ego death, you having ego death, then you're able to start writing and you're starting to work for them. I write music that I never would have thought about. That was so much better than if I was left to myself. And I'd say something else to you guys pragmatically as far as getting out there and networking. Really collaborate. You know, I had something on my computer for a while that said wordy, but it said collaboration equals transcendentalism. Okay? So when I collaborated with people, the work transcended what I thought it could be. And I'll give you a great example of how that works in, in the market is, I do, say, a social media post. When it has my name, I get a certain amount of hits, I get a certain amount of notoriety. But if I have 10 people that I've worked with, they're all excited. Why? Because it's about them. So they'll pass it on to their friends. Look, this is me. Look, this is me. So it's like, you like you, and you like me knowing you. So it has nothing to do with me. So I'm going to focus on that. And I do that with clients all the time. You know, get out of my head, look at them. Does that answer your question, Boss? Yes, kind of. Yeah. That was so long-winded, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, so look, it's not just a simple answer. Right? Yeah. It, it, it's actually a bit of a behavioral training answer. Because this is what I found in my research. And I've been researching, especially working with a lot of creatives. You know, I have family that's a creative mind. And I've... My whole life has really been dedicated to understanding the mechanisms of how creative mind really works, musicians particularly. And so, you know, this this took me, as I was saying before, it took me about, since I did my first ever um, PD, personal development course, it took me about two and a half years to bring myself to have the courage to stand up and say, hey, I have value and it's $100 or it's $50 or it's $5. And there's a rule that, you know, in marketing that states like, if, if you can't make $5 doing what you love and, and offering a value to someone, you can't make 5000 you can't make 5 million, don't expect to make any more. So it's a, we here, we want to teach you the model of how you can make $5 doing what you love. And it's something that's, you know, Susie, this week, this Sunday night is your EP launch, yeah. right? You're, you're going through this, you're having to seek it, uh, sell tickets. Yeah. So you have to convince people of the value that you bring. Yeah. And it's a test. Yeah. That's exactly what you're going through in the mm -hmm. mindset. And yeah. there's feelings of judgment. Am I worthy? Why would people yeah. want to buy? This is what you need to work on. You role play this stuff. Mm -hmm. But we sometimes have to go a lot deeper into childhood as well. And I, I want to, this is where I have to go deep because for me, that's where mm -hmm. I had to work. I had to go that deep. Yeah, and understand that with belief systems that I was holding on to since childhood from mum and dad and my reality, because 85% of my beliefs are actually created from zero to eight, same with everyone, all humans. From zero to eight, 85% of your beliefs 
which are ingrained like habits and, and programs, are actually created by eight years of age. So unless, if there's something there that you didn't feel was right or unjust, you need to go back there and understand what happened because if you don't understand it and if, you don't, if you're not okay with it, every time you see opportunities or people that remind you of that circumstance or the negative opportunity, you'll subconsciously sabotage it. Subconsciously, there'll be a part of you that says, hey, flight, fight, flight or fight response, I'm going to find a way to basically sabotage this opportunity. I'm going to hide from it or I'm going to, you know, crack it without you realizing. Right? So this is, this is kind of what I have to work with and I've worked with a lot of musicians and, and people in general to really break through that. And I've seen some really great results. You know, I've got some people online in this Facebook session now that have had transformations, you know, they're doing some top-notch gigs. I don't want to name names for privacy reasons, but like they're just living examples of these principles that we teach. And uh, this is what we're working with. So to answer your question, it's I, I'm really coming from the focus of the behavioral training and giving people <coughs> to become entrepreneurs. Yeah. Um, you know, we've developed a whole team. You work with Michelle, I think. Sorry? You work with Michelle? Uh, if I work with Michelle. Who's your mentor here? Yeah. Are you, are you a member here? No. I, mean, I, I was invited here, but I'm not. Great. Yeah. All right. So, welcome. <laughs> welcome to USM. Yeah. Uh, so, everyone else is here a member, except for Mike Boris. Thank you. Well, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah. Um, but this is what we do, right? And so, Michelle, who's actually in the corner studio, is one of our main mentors and producers. She's um, uh, Sandy's mentor. Um, so, the reason why I bring that up is because, you know, he really works with artists and helping them produce and release their albums, like, for example, Suzuka. Um, who is releasing her album this summer. And so, you know, we have people and a whole team that specialise in different areas. And obviously, you know, a team should have that. So as you progress, you might be working with one person to the next, to the next, depending on where you're at and what you need. Yeah, we, we don't believe in a system that takes you through a textbook and just knocking off those boxes and getting them agreements to say that you've actually gone through that and now you're ready for the real world. And you can see, you know, the university system is changing dramatically. They're not letting you pass. I've no, announced, they've announced that, you know, I think uh, Bikini announced that they won't let you pass and, and, and um, uh, pass a subject, well, move forward to the next topic until you pass the subject. So it's now more of a, a mindset of until. Whereas previously it was more, okay, tick those boxes, shuffle on, you know, shuffle on and keep generating that machine. And it is machine, and it's, and it's a $41 billion machine that is in $41 billion debt, the university system. That's because people like, let's say, you and me, have racked up this debt, $50,000, $100,000, and haven't been able to create an income to pay that debt back. That's the debt. So the system is not working. And I'm just going to reveal some truths here about that system, right? Not for everyone, but for a majority of people. And back to Berkeley... One of the reasons why I love Berkeley, and you know, we really look up to their whole model, is because they're a private organization, so university students go in having to pay from their own pocket, which creates the demand to have to find the value and get that back. And that's the first lesson in business, guys. It's called return on investment. Who's heard of return on investment before? Yeah? Cool. So this is, how much have you invested so far in this whole album? Oh, my goodness. Yeah? Couple, okay, couple grand, more. Yeah, more, right? I'd say. So, yeah. we now know you're going to have to get that money back. Yeah. Yeah? And we're going to hold you accountable to that. But 
you're the one that, it's, it's, at the end of the day, you, you, you have that responsibility and you're the one that allows that to, yeah. to, to be the case. You know, the other day I had a conversation with you mm -hmm. and I was asking some realistic questions about those goals. You know, mm -hmm. give me the name of the thing you want to be at yeah. and let's see them written down. And if you can't write things down on a piece of paper, guys, don't expect it to ever come to fruition. First law of manifestation, right? Just like building a home, you can't build a home without putting onto a paper, onto a plan. Yeah, so these are some of the tools that we're talking about. Yeah, having a blueprint. So yeah, that's um, that's a long-winded no, no, response, but <laughs> this you know it wasn't an easy one to, to understand. Yeah, yeah, to just, I had to really take yeah, because that. traditional education is like I was educated with traditional education, yeah. and yeah. nobody teach you anything about like the real world. It's like a lab, you know. It's like yeah. you go into a lab, they show you this, this, do that, do this, do that, and yeah. then when you go out, it's you never do this or do that. You know. you yeah. do the it's all you theoretical. The opposite, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I think one of the things that's good here, um, even if you have a degree from somewhere else, is there's this missing component. And usually once you're able to articulate the problem, you put your finger on it, and it's pretty much mostly solved. And I think a lot, you know, I can't tell you how many great musicians I know that they're really, really great at their, their craft who have none of these skills over here. And that's where my heart just goes out. And that's why I'm excited about this. But one thing I wanted to say, Boris, to answer your question. One is, if you've done three or four clients already, okay, that you have done for free, okay, what I hope is you have done an impeccable job, okay, because your investment right there is that you're able to say, listen to this, this is my work. You've got three or four, you know, if you hang out with us, get the EPK built or the website or whatever your media stuff is, a video of you talking. I always like to do videos of clients because our websites make us look so amazing. You know, and then you see a video and you're like, oh, okay, I could hang out with Boris. He's not, his, his work's great, but he's not so intimidating. After you get those three and you get that site done, bam, you don't do any more free work. You charge. And what it is, is every time you do a job, right, you're not taking on another job. So say you've got 40 hours a week to work. If you're taking on your fifth free job, so you feel like you're doing something, right, that means you don't have any room for paying jobs and you're also not keeping your eyes open for that paying job. And if you don't have a paying job, then you gotta work on these other components we're talking about as far as the business and the marketing and improving yourself to get that work. I have a friend of mine, he's like, Martin, you've, you so inspired me, you know, I'm gonna go in the studio, you know, eight o'clock tomorrow morning, I'm gonna go to 6 p.m. And I'm like, no, <laughs> don't go to the studio, pick up the phone, get out there, get some work. When I get in the studio, that's my treat. But I have to find somebody to pay me to get in the studio. That's the first thing. And every time you say yes, you're saying no to something. So keep your eyes open. I hope that answered it. Yeah, man. And, and look, you know, I, I always want to take it back to the mindset because you don't see opportunities unless you've given yourself permission first and foremost. So it starts with you, right? So there's opportunities around us all the time. But, you know, we're essentially frequency or light vibrating in a certain frequency. And so if we're blocking out a certain frequency, which, you know, thought is measured in frequencies, and, you know, this is all neuroscience, it's all provable now, that we're, we're limiting our potential, we're, li we're not seeing these opportunities, so therefore you can't, you can't create an opportunity because you've sabotaged and you won't be able to see that. So it all starts with you, and this is what I realized. It started with me. This is why the biggest investment I can make is not the bricks and mortar around me. It's all within. It's all education. It's all about me. Right, we can get religious and spiritual and whatnot, and believe me, I can go right down deep into that because I have. 
and that's and I honestly believe that people have to take that journey to really you know because this business everything that I do is an expression of what's happening within me yeah and the funny thing the beautiful thing about entrepreneurship is you see that happen daily you realize you just invest in say two grand weekend you see results the next week four grand return after a while you realize the power of investing in your own knowledge because, you, you know, you, you start seeing more opportunities and the opportunities you realize are actually all around me the, the whole time. I just never saw them until he showed me where to look. Yeah? Cool. Any other questions? We've got, um, I'm, we're opening up to the Facebook Live questions as, as well. So if there's anyone else online that wants to ask questions, shoot, go, go for it. Yeah. Um, guys, let's do this. Anyone else? No? What do you think? Okay, I'll ask you, what do you think so far? Uh, let's start with you, Emily, because you're about to graduate. You've, you've done almost 20 weeks with me and working on discovering your why. You know, we created a blueprint. We went and talked about your avatar, your target market, and being able to, you know, we did some live application down at the pop-up park we were on a weekly basis. She was, she was basically um, really using the power of story and connection to, to speak the values of her audience. And, you know, we're testing it live during a busking session. How do you find all that so far? Um, for me, there's still a gap between where I am now and where I want to be in terms of, like, say, touring as a, as yep. a goal. Like, that's an ongoing thing. Yep. And I'm not, I'm not quite there yet. And there's still, like, a little bit of a hole in my head <coughs> about how exactly to get there. And I know that, like, releasing music is one of those things. Mm-hmm. Um and then maybe you need to get, you know, other people who have the knowledge to um, like promote and market and stuff. But kind of what can you do? But, you know, you can't, you can't, you don't have the money to do that at, you know, like Taylor Swift level or anything like that. See, I'll tell you right now. <laughs> sorry, a great, that's just, a great question. Yeah. No, I think that's a great one. Yeah. The first thing is you now you're comparing yourself against someone else, which is probably the first thing that you shouldn't be doing mm-hmm. because we're, this is all about people wanting to know who you are and what you have to offer. So until you get clear with that and actually make $5 doing that, don't expect to make $5 million or any more. And that's, that's what we're working on. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? I, I, yeah. I do, and I love these questions. You guys are like, look, man, I walked out of school and I starved for a year. I don't want to starve a year too. And I'm like, okay, we're going to get an answer, right? And your question is like, okay, I got this out here, but I, I don't see pragmatically how I get from here to this Taylor Swift concept, you know? And I understand that. And I don't think it's bad to have a role model and then to, you know, to look at them and to study how did they get there? You know, I think that's one thing. If you take Taylor Swift, you know, find out what she did as a youth. Find out what happened in her 20s. You know, find out what got her to that space. You know, I I read biographies about Miles Davis, Charlie Parker, uh, Charles Mingus, um, Steve Jobs. Uh, Tesla, Nikolai Tesla. I read all these people. I can keep going just on, and I go, how did they get there? How did they get to this point? And how is that pragmatic for me? Now, what you're actually asking me is, Martin, that's all well and good. Read biographies, look people up, but how am I going to get gigs and get out there and working? What, what actions can I take? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, yeah, that's a good question. And you live in the Melbourne area, right? Okay, so the first thing that I would say is this is one is get to know your garden. You know, if you're growing a garden and this is what's going to sustain you, what you don't do is you're like, okay, I'm going to put my corn over here and then I'm going to put my tomatoes because I'm going to think international now way over here in Canada. 
you, you don't have a Canadian market. You don't have that. But if you branch here in Melbourne and you really work, I think you can get a viable income just here. And once you get that, as they say, if you can one, run one troop, you can run 10, you can run 100. You know, what I always say to my clients and my students is this. Book four or five places in the local area where you can go home at night, call it a tour, and plan it as a tour. Market it as a tour, put out singles, get people there. If you don't know the clubs, right, walk into them. You know, if you know anybody in any band, you write to them and say, can I open for you? Okay? The other thing you do is you actually walk into the club. When I landed here a year and a half ago, I said, okay, where, where's the art? CBD. Where's the money? East and West. Okay, great. Where's the closest bar that plays live music from my house? I went there. I sat there for one month, one night a week, open mic night, played some music, stuff like that. People started getting to know me. By the time I was in my third month there, I was sitting over with the owner over a cup of coffee being like, boom, here's a folder. Here's all the proposals. It's going to cost you $5,000 a month to have the entertainment I propose. Do a menu. They chose the $2,000 bracket. And this is, we worked on this, the pitching to the venues, you know, building trust. But I, but I, yeah, I built trust because I hung out with them. Then I looked at them and I said, what do you need? Yeah. Not, not what do I have? What can I create for you? Where's the gap that I can fill the void of yeah. the problem that I can solve? This is recently I reached out to a venue, um, was the guy who was booking liked me. And um, he said, yeah, shoot me an email. And then he sent back okay, just answer these questions. And it was like, how many tickets have you sold? Yes. Boom. Credibility. And my answer is none. So like, yeah. I, I couldn't it's always hard to get the first gig. And I understand that. And the same thing happened to me. You know, I mean, I've just got here. So they're like, okay, you're, you did something in America halfway around the world. What are you doing here? I ran into the same kind of thing. Um, I think to get around that pragmatically is start opening for people. Start doing open mic nights. You know, start filming these things and start getting a following. We got a following. How I started here was I started playing open mic nights. And people are like, oh, there's this American saxophone guy. I go, yeah, I'm at this club on Thursdays. I'm also going to be over here on Tuesdays. No one's paying me yet. And I know that in six, I, I gave myself six months from landing here. I was like, I'm going to say hi, then I'm going to have a band, then I'm going to have a cultural series. You know, I'm going to start building things. But I did put in some hours. And as, as Steve's saying, the first thing you do is, you build a reputation, you build trust, and you limit it. And it's like, okay, I've got a following. I can have five people. I can have 10 people show up or something like that. Start opening for people and have those people come. And then you start to generate things. And the way I say this is everything that you do, film, video, photo, make it a public announcement. Because if a guy like me comes along and says, okay, what has she done? Man, she's been out there a lot. I don't know that you're getting paid or not. You know? Are you ready to perform right now? Okay, we should talk, because then I have a gig for you. I'm running a cultural series once a month. Awesome. We have a, uh, Sorry. Uh, that's okay. Thanks for your question, Emily. hope that answers it. Um, Mickey, who is uh, one of our actually joint winners of the Rising Star, um, not the Rising Star, the Sonic Presence DJ competition. Amazing story. Uh, he's online. He asked the following question. Uh, so, Mickey... Yes, there's great content, gentlemen. Thank you, Mickey. Martin, I have a question for you. How often, often I hear people saying they want to collaborate with me and write music, and often they do not want to follow up on this. What can I do to motivate others to work with me? Ah, that's a, that's, that's a good question, and I understand that one, Mickey. Um, I like collaborating too, and I think the thing is you have to not do it in a vacuum. Um, it usually helps to have a reason to collaborate. Like, um, 
Let's see here. I kind of think of a perfect example. Oh, working with this West African artist. We're doing this kind of content. He needs a particular instrument that needs to be played that can only be found in, I think it was Burkina Faso or Mali. And I'm like, look, I can get this, but what I need you to do is I need you to put funds on the table to do this recording. So then I'm able to call the person and I'm able to say, okay, online, let's do this collaboration and stuff like that. I'm a big fan of passing money and, you know, kind of between us. I think a lot of the times we collaborate, we do things for free. I think you, you need to notch up to that market. So if you're looking to collaborate as a DJ with other people, you know, I think the one thing is to be like, okay, what gigs are you doing where you could use that kind of collaboration? Like perfect example, Mickey, if you and I are in the same room, I know that you're gigging, you know, I play saxophone. Get me gigging live and performance for you. And if you need me to invest some time in you so that I do a recording so you can show them that, great. But what we're doing is we're using our skills to collaborate but looking at another long-term goal in order to monetize so that you know we can have families and homes and all that kind of things with our skills. I think what happens is when there's no money being passed or there's no outlet for it to happen, um, people don't really feel like collaborating because it's just we're playtime and it's a hobby. And that's why I'm always like... Find out how you can serve somebody else. Try to get a gig after you get your reel, you know, after you get your representation. And then that's when you work. You know, Gershwin, uh, American songwriter, Gershwin, he said, you know, what inspires you to write music? And he goes, a call from my publisher. Other than that, I'm hanging out. You know, and I do the same thing now. I used to always write in the evening and do that. And I think it's good to get that skill. But right now, I wait for the phone. I can compose in any style that I can conceive in any key from any period of anything. So I'm kind of lost the ego death. Like, what do I like to do? I could tell you, but it's so unimportant right now. It's like, how do I take this skill set and serve? And the real key, you know, is aligning your passion and your in what you're good at with what the market needs. You know, there's this philosophy, right? They call it in Japanese ikugai philosophy, but there's many labels and, you know, and a lot of people, and I started, you know, I had to, I didn't start like that myself. Obviously, I had to develop my craft, and that's what I loved at the time, and I spent the hours in the studio practicing Rachmaninoff, Bach, Mozart, you know, Deep Purple, all those crazy different um, bands, and, and, you know, I got into 80s music, and I started to diversify a lot more, but then what happened was, you know, I was still learning my sales skills at Telstra at the same time, so... You know, you have to be diversified in your, your ability to uh, to offer solutions in this marketplace. But then, what it brought me to a point where I was able to consolidate my skills in sales and you know, in communications and solving problems with my music. You know, without I honestly believe that without having those years at Telstra, working for a company like that, and dealing with you know corporate customers, B two B. B two C, and and being able to like understand exchange and you know the lingo. I wouldn't have been able to apply those skills in what I do today. And I you think know? the thing that I'm so watching... it's all on the way a lot of the times as opposed to being in the way. And, and, and to see there's a slight flip in your mindset and a lot of people are going against the grain, you know, doing a job that they believe is not serving them and their mission. But when you start to realize and you start to actually have a long-term plan and a long-term plan is like a 5, 10, 40-year plan, not like a three-week plan, guys then you start to realize that you actually know your cutoff point when you can make that jump and that transmission and you act that sorry the transition and you actually plan out you say well okay if i'm earning 50 grand now in my full-time job or my part-time job and i need to make 50 grand in my music 
how are they making 10 grand on music, 50 grand there, how do I translate that and eventually phase out my part-time job and make this my full-time job, you know? And there are some great programs out there, and the government offers this program called NICE, which is actually a program that I did that actually, you know, it's, it's a cert for in small business management. Okay. And this was my business plan. You know, it was at the time I was, I was also doing personal development, so I got really clear on myself. I worked on myself. I was able to bridge those two together, stick to a long-term business plan or financial plan, and it, you know, it all came, came about that way. So it's, we're playing a long-term game here. I think yeah. the thing that we're trying to express is Steve and I have got to the same point in our careers through very circuitous roads in order to get this knowledge in our head. And we walked out of uni with this as our skill set as a musician and as a just a base entrepreneurial or, you know, good person, so to speak, who is balanced and could be trusted, was here, you know. And so it, we took 15, 10, all these kind of years to get it to here. And what we're trying to do here is to say, like, look, 12, 20 weeks, we can bang out all of this and kind of going to get your point there. You know, and I think about people trying to get work. And great example is I have a band in Australia. I'm very proud of them. It's all Aussie guys and one other American. We're called Visionary Steel. Um, and we're a seven-piece band. And in the old days, I would write the music I wanted to write. And that would be the band. And now I said, all right, if I were to walk into a club, what do I want to hear? What does that club want to hear? So I wrote for the club person. So I flipped my music over. You know, when you guys are doing your EDM work, dude, I know. Look, I got I got zillions of wave plugins. You know, I've got all this stuff, man. You know, it's all fun. Like, oh, this is cool. This is cool. But what I would do is I'm like, okay, let's think about that club. And let's listen to the sound. And let's just see how the people are moving. And see how I can serve by creating that atmosphere. So suddenly it's not about me at all. It doesn't matter whether I like it or not. You know, it's a matter of, okay, can I use this skill to create this amazing thing? Now you've created a need for your work. So I um, hope that answers the question, Mickey. Uh, we've obviously gone on a little bit further than that. Um, we've got one more question here. Devin. Um, Devin Jordan, who's our previous member, drum student. Um, do you have experience in balancing full-time studying, in my case, a non-music-related course, and finding time to play music with others? If so, how do you or how would you go balancing study and playing? Coffee. <laughs> Just so coffee. My short answer to that yeah. is how many hours are there in the day? Yeah. You work you work from basically you get up six AM in the morning and you work till about twelve PM at night. You only really need six hours sleep. And that was what was required of me to build a foundation where I was in the business. I worked my butt off and, and essentially they do say it takes about eighteen months to two years to get your return on your investment when you first start up a, a business. Same with you guys. This is A business doesn't have to be bricks and mortar and studios, right? It's not the case. The business is, is, um, is the model that you're trying to create and the value, and the solutions that you're offering. But, you know, your website or your promo material, your, your music, um, you know, your recording, your production services, all those things, you've got to get your skills intact in order to call it a business and package it all together and start to offer that, right? So there's an investment there. So don't expect to get an investment before you even invest in your business to start with. And to do that once you've invested in the business, so back to you, Devin, um, you know, just work to 
you, you can work two jobs, and there's plenty of stories of successful people that, that have done two or even three jobs to make it work and make that transition. As long as you've got a plan, right? Because your mind could be playing tricks on you. You can go to work, hating your life, thinking that this is not where you're meant to be. But if you know that it's part of the plan, then in six months or eight months' time, you would have saved enough to create like this monetary, like a cushion to invest in your business to then, you know, carry you forward, then it's all on the way. You know, you've got a plan and you've got confidence. I think that's a great question. And the Jungian archetype of a warrior in the 21st century is planning. And so that is a crucial component. And so I look at my life and I'm like, okay, these are the aspects I need to get in. Um, I like gardening. I like practicing. I need to do my business work, you know, X, Y, and Z. And I map it out. And I always tell students, you know, if you're working full time, if you're going to uni, and I can relate to that, um, tell yourself you'll practice two, three times a week for 10 minutes. Don't say you're going to do it for an hour because you do it for 45 minutes and then you feel bad. You know, do it for 10 minutes and then you'll find yourself you're doing 15. And I'll also talk to you pragmatically as a drummer. Um, I play West African percussion. I play pianos and keys. Looking at my EDM guys right here, you know. <laughs> and saxophone. And the interesting thing, and this ties in with the personal development, the interesting thing with drumming is, let's look at a couple ways we can get transcendental states for a higher consciousness. Uh, you can do fasting. Um, you can take hallucinogenic mushrooms. And you can drum. Now, a Tuesday morning, I just can't take hallucinogenic mushrooms. I won't be able to find the phone. It's Tuesday morning. Yeah, I'm not that fast. So I can't fast all the time. I'll be walking around emaciated. But if I take that 10, 15 minutes while I'm thinking about planning, what I do is I have my djembe right by my office. I was talking to Steve the other day. Went over, grabbed my drum, played for 15 minutes, got my head together. I went to that higher state, thought about it, came back, went to work. So if you find ways to synergize what you want in your life to pull that off, you know, and it doesn't have to be drums, it can be any instrument. You know, look at that as, instead of practicing to do, be like, this is cut out time where I can free flow and think, but it's also I dedicate this. You're going to feel so much better. Think about the amount of time that you put in feeling bad about not practicing, feeling bad about not working on your stuff. I call that the kind of the suffering of getting off the couch. You're spending more time sitting on the couch thinking about what you should do. Just get off the couch and do it. Then get on back. And everybody's got 10 or 15 minutes. Hope that answers your question, Devin. I'm just typing that in there. Uh, any more questions, guys? We've got a couple more minutes left before we sort of start to wrap things up. Uh, for those of you online or live. I love these questions. They're so pragmatic. Get me money. How do I become Taylor Swift? I just, you know... Or, you know, or C, you know, all the above, you know. Any other questions? Any other thoughts? Uh, yeah. Um, if you're, like, a soloist and you're most, like, interested in playing solo, yeah. how important are connections in that area? Mm, that's, a, that's a great question, and I understand that. Um, I do. There's a couple ways I would look at that. One is, I'm always a fan of opening for other people. I think if you research the people around here doing similar kind of music, go to one of their clubs and you go up and say, like, look, I really loved your performance. You know, I think you guys are great. I think my music, if it's true, you know, would be a great opening act for you. And the first time, maybe you charge no funds. You know what I mean? Like, you got to start building a reel. My thing is, do free work. Do stuff that sounds amazing, that no one's paying you for. Then be like, yeah, psh, that's my copy. This is what I do. This is the quality. Like, make those killer. 
And after I would do that, after I would go around, right, I would also start, because you're not collaborating with other musicians, right, as I start collaborating with other artists, you get a photographer who wants to take crazy pictures of you, you know, wearing duck costumes in the city, or you hang out with video people, or, you know, like for me, I worked with dance companies for a while. So while I was playing my instrument, I had 15 people jumping in front of me. You know what I mean? Um, I think those kind of ways, if you stop thinking of yourself as a solo musician, but if you think about yourself as an artist, right, who has to have multimedia content, that would be an opportunity for you to collaborate. And between getting out in front of other people's audiences and collaborating with other professionals, I think that would be the good way to kind of build a package. Otherwise, you're going to be alone in your space trying to get your message out. And so the doing the opening is going to get you your own following. You know, it's going to start hooking you up with people. And my question to you is this, is um, you don't have to do one thing. You know, like I do a bunch of things. I've got this, this music I like to write and I do that. But then I got this band that does this. And oh, do you need a, a band that does uh, waltz music? I got that band. You got $2,000, I'll have that band tonight and written. You know, and so if you have your one project that's over here, that's your solo project. That doesn't mean you don't have other projects that you work in and collaborate with other people where it's not about you and your ego, but you're serving. You play guitar? Yeah. Yeah, man. You know? So find somebody who could use a guitarist. Go in and learn their stuff and work on their stuff. And you might be able to see like, hmm, you know, one is now I'm working professionally in the market, still keeping this dream alive of what I'm doing. But between all of that coalescence, I think things start to have that kind of, you know, gestalt happening for you so you, you can launch out. Does that make sense? Yeah. I could say that again if that wasn't clear. Uh, yeah, okay, good, good, man. So, Dylan, you're currently studying piano with yeah. Louisa at the moment. You know, I, look, I can really relate to you. Piano is a very lonely road. It can be a very lonely road. You know, spending hours and just, just on the piano. I had many epiphanies, many kind of tears on the piano. Um, you know, it's, it's, it can be treated like a whole orchestra, you know, and supplemented by the band. And you've got, you know, all your registers. So it's very easy to just get trapped into being the one-man band and, and just uh, thinking that, you know, this is the way that I'm going to become someone to get discovered. But, it, um, yeah, like Martin said, diversify, you know, do consider perhaps reaching out and, like, you know, the more you can offer. In a band scenario, I started singing, doing backing vocals, started, you know, lead vocals. That helped a little bit as well. Um, but then, you know, what really started to, I guess, push it to the next realm in, in opportunities was really my mindset, you know, and I, that's, I always take it back to the mindset um, because you start seeing opportunities that you didn't see before. I mean, YouTube, for example, and digital, the digital space online, you know, if you did arrangements, for example, of people's favorite covers, you know, I know there's a couple of, um, what's his name, Richard... Um, there's a whole bunch of them online that basically do that and they make a living through the advertisements on, on YouTube channels. You know, that's an easy way to do that, but remember, like, this is about serving other people and, uh, and, and aligning what you have with your skills and talents with what people in the market wants. Yes. So just start communicating, asking these questions. I really think separating yourself from, okay, this is my product. Okay, this is, this is what you do. These are your songs, and this is your set, and this is what you got going on. That's your product, right? Okay, what is your service? What are your tools that you can use? Well, you can play guitar, you can play piano, you can record for people. Anything that can get you monetized 
and kind of the skill set to go work. And it still feeds back into this, but it's not this in an isolated bubble, you know? Does it make sense? Yeah. Okay. The other thing I wanted to offer is um, give you a great example. Um, the Lions Club of Altona, they called me in. They had this Cherry Lake Market, and they said, you know, could you get us a band? You know, and I said, well, I could get you a band. We could do that. But since my big thing is serving others and being in the community, what we now do is we have a cultural series. We have, you know, a, an act play once a month that's from the local community group, and we advertise them and all that kind of thing. You know, as people with University School of Mu Universal School of Music, if any of you are interested in performing in that, you know, come let me know. We'll get, we'll get you out there and get that kind of started. You know, we do promo. We get everybody there. The other thing that I want to say for those that are having a hard time, you know, getting an audience... I'm a real big fan, yeah, right, is I'm a big, real big fan of putting together disparate audiences. So say you have seven people and you have 10 people. Well, if we do a gig together with both of you, there's 17. Your friends meet each other. And that's a good way so you guys can start getting some solvency going on. You know, package together. Notice I keep talking about collaboration and reaching out. It's hard as a musician. I get it. You know, I'm way introverted when I was younger. But if you can get over yourself... But it's not about you, then you'll do great. It's about both, and that's the key, right? It's understanding, obviously, having your integrity, knowing what you love doing, and finding people who want that service, who want that. And not everyone will want it either. We, we talked about this. Half of the, the market won't like you, half will, right? But you want to continue to build that, those halves and expand on that network. And eventually other people will come around and might like what you do, and they'll go through their own journey. And, you know, so, yeah, um, we have another question. Uh, Michelle Garner, who is one of our members, uh, mum of two, and actually did a lot of the training with me a couple of years ago, and now she's back working with Michelle. Uh, Michelle, our producer, male. Is it a thing to make a living or as just a performer anymore, or is it necessary for artists to diversify into other areas to make money? What do you think, Martin? I, I think that's a great question, and I, I always say this when I hear that question is, I'm really glad that I'm not just a saxophone player. I'm really glad that I get to be a producer and I get to what I call herd cats. You know, you get the whole band together, you make sure they show up. I'm really glad that I'm working with multimedia people out there in the world in a variety of mediums. I'm really glad that I work internationally, um, dealing with artists all over the place, and it's not just performing for me. And... I think there's this illusion. Yes, there are some people who are performing, you know, exclusively, but most of the time that is a limited run in your career. What will happen is you'll have a spike and you'll have your local following that you'll have for the rest of the time. And most people do diversify. And I always say this, Mozart, who is considered maybe the best musician ever, had students. Bach had students. Beethoven had students. You know, everybody has those different hats. I think this idea of Going out and being a rock star, that's it, and going to the green room and going to the hotel, sure, it happens, you know, just like lightning happens and strikes things and, you know, other crazy oddities. What I'm trying to give you guys is pragmatic skills so you can get to that 60, 80,000 and be like, all right, you know, I'm using all my, all, all my skill set. Part of what I really want to do, which is performing, which me too, is ensconced in there. It's definitely a part, but I'm not expecting to make the kind of living that I want by just being a saxophone player. You know, I needed to decide to say, okay, I'm going to have a plethora of things out there. So if you're looking to ask me, my thing is to evaluate your skill set and then to see what the market can use from that. 
And that's probably a more solvent way, you know, than just deciding, okay, I'm going to just make this exclusively on performing. I would make that a subset of your world. Hope that answers your question, Michelle. Um, Michelle, by the way, is someone who's absolutely kicking goals. And, you know, if I, if I can, um, you know, just share some of the breakthroughs that Michelle had um, achieved, you know, a couple, of you, a couple of years ago when we worked together. Uh, if that's okay, Michelle, I think it is. I'm sorry. Um, Michelle, you know, I was someone, I guess, that was a little bit afraid of picking up the phone and, and calling, um, you know, a couple of venues to to really pitch herself and to, to offer that value. You know, I remember having these conversations with her that, you know, one of the tasks was to go and, you know, contact three venues and, and really, like, present your solution or your offer, like, what you're going to offer in terms of, like, a night at your venue, how it's going to work, what is expected, you know, draw and how many people are going to show, show up and having a spreadsheet with some figures to actually represent the return, the, the bottom dollar or, you know, the money that that venue owner is going to make as a result of investing in this artist, you know, and that's, that's a quite a big step, you know, and, but, you know, she managed to, I guess, find the courage to at least just do that and then since then, you know, she's, um, she's doing really well, you know, she, she didn't believe that, I guess, um, that she was able to also do this with having two kids, you know, lots, a lot of mothers out there, they believe that, you know, family always comes first and it means that they can't do what they can but that was another mindset we really had to work through so there's I mean plenty of different mindsets that we have to really work through to see that there's opportunities and we then take those opportunities and when when we know that there's opportunities when we've got the skills to be able to present you know ourselves and our value great preparation meeting opportunity you've heard that term as you know being defined as luck Einstein liked to define Define that as luck. So if you like to be lucky, be prepared, wait for the opportunity, and you can get luck. If you like to perceive it that way, but I think you've had full control over the, the preparation part of things. And also, you do have opportunity, opportunities around us simply by putting yourself in environments like Martin did for a month at the venue until that opportunity came about. Yeah, question? Um, yeah, what do you have to say about building a brand? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so it was about 10 years ago where um, I would do this annual, it's kind of like a roast of, of me over um, Christmas with uh, these two students of mine who stopped being students and they were like, one was, um, you know, directed museums and the other one helped build uh, Time Warner AOL. And they once said to me, they go, look, you're a saxophone player. I have a John Coltrane album. Okay, you play West African percussion. Well, you're a white guy. You know, you play piano. Well, you know, you got this guy right here. You know, like, why do we, why do we need you? You know, what are you offering that's unique? Hmm. You know, and I went to it. I thought about it for two or three days. And finally, what I came up with was, and this was at the time, is I was taking ancestral and indigenous, you know, music, um, world music and um, learning those melodies and rhythms that have been around for thousands of years and then with modern production style making them relevant to people today so they didn't die. And that was my mission statement for like probably five, seven years. But in answer to your question of building a brand, I think you have to ask yourself, what is your unique gift and then what is it that you're putting out that is a unique special thing? You know, what is it that you're... I have one student that I was just talking to, she just got her whole package out. She's talking about women's issues in your 20s today in 2018. Um, those kind of things where it's like, okay, 
that can relate to an audience and they can come back to you. And that's kind of how you build your brand. And then I think the other thing that's really interesting is in the 1940s and 50s, 60s, all that, the artist was here and you never really spoke to the artist. It was all like the marketing and that and the work spoke for itself. I actually still have old artists who believe that. And I think now is they want a piece of us. They want to know who we are. They want to be intimate with us. They want to know our world. I've got this um, woman I'm working with. Uh, she's a pastor who uh, is, makes albums, and she's writing a book about traditional issues on contemporary um, situations, you know, like her perspective, as opposed to the old way, the new way to think about it. What is that? What is that? Oh, it's called Tinder. So she's playing with Tinder and she's got all these guys coming around. She's going on dates and it's all weird. And she's a pastor. Don't you want to check out her site? That's just cool stuff. And she's like, here I am, a contemporary woman, you know, instead of sitting at home because my husband died, I'm out here being racy. And so I'm interested in her. And so then now she has a following. So I think the thing is you have to ask yourself, what are you offering more than just the average girl singer songwriter? You know, what makes it so that you stick out and you spark? I don't know what that is. My mentors didn't know what it was for me. That was one of those, you know, go on the mountain, sit in the rock, roll up and think about it. You know, now what my unique thing is, is I really, I'm really a fan of serving others and making it so that I can create in a shamanic way, sacred space for people and musicians to collaborate and do work so that I'm over here. You know, and that changes as you go along. And you want your audience, I think, that like mine has, is to come with me on this journey. Uh, I'm in my 40s. Maybe in my 60s, I'm going to look at this as arrogant and immature because I've looked at all the other times that way. Mm-hmm. You know, and they'll come along with me in this process. Does that answer your question? Yes. Why should I buy your album and listen to your music and come to your show more than any of these people? doesn't have to be better. Let's take that out of the equation. I don't like the Christian good or bad. But what makes yours more unique? I'm asking you, everybody. Well, we've worked on this. Let's, let's, can we share? What oh, you're come to asking you're, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's oh. The, if you've got a snappy answer, I'm psyched. Yeah. Oh, no. There's not a glass screen here. <laughs> <laughs> it's real. Yeah. Well, this is what you've got to practice. This is the elevator speech. And obviously, you know, how you connect with your audience. You've done this before. Just maybe take some time to reflect on that. That's I call that my elevator speech. Yeah. You got to narrow it down in a sentence or two that both says what is your unique gift and what you can offer to somebody who's listening to you. So I just asked you as a multimedia producer who makes albums, who gets people work, who has a cultural series, and I told you I have a gig for you. He's an example of preparation meeting opportunity. So okay. next Thursday night, what's happening is Emily's memorizing three to four core turning points and takeaways that have led her to where she is now as a singer-songwriter, right? And it's a strategy which is called story branding. It's been around for years before we were born and everyone's born. And we're using that to connect, right, to a certain avatar, right? So that's, that's the purpose of next week is to practice for the first time ever, perhaps, you, you pitching yourself and selling through these stories because stories sell. And how many stories have you given tonight? I'm so sorry that I was a week ahead. We'll see you next week, yeah. right? Yeah. You know. Well, right. I really, I probably should be able to answer that. I look. I, to, I told you, you know, ten years ago, I couldn't answer that. Mm. You it's know. Kind of, it's, it's, to me, it feels like I'm asking, like, you know, oh, I have to summarize who I am as a person. It's new. It's a new song. In one sentence, sort of right. thing. Do you know what I mean? 
Yes, and, and like it, how that translates and it ties to my music and what I say to my music. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a great question. I like this conversation here. Eventually I will get to know everything about you. But what we're trying to say is this is what we're offering here is these are the skills that a lot of great artists just don't have because we don't articulate it. And so in that elevator speech is what we're going to call it. It has, has two components. One is what is your unique gift? And that can be a sentence or two. What makes your music unique? Do you know what I mean? And then the other thing is like, what are you offering as a service? So it's like really two lines, you know? And so when I say I'm like, I'm a composer, performer, you know, uh, multimedia producer, you know, I like to do ethnic music and push it into contemporary format. And I help people, you know, and artists as far as um, making video shoots, websites, I call it the treatment, making albums, and then I get them work. So that probably took me 17 to 20 seconds. And it just laid out, I think all of you could use my service. Yes? All of you, if you had the money, and if it wasn't your money, would you hire me? Because right, you know what I'm doing. And it's clarity. It's clear about it. It's confidence. People are drawn to this. And obviously, you know, the person with the most certainty really wins in, a, in an environment where you have to, you're faced with, you know, all these, you know, opportunities to buy and to buy and to, to you know, to subscribe. You know, you're essentially looking for, and this is, we, t we talked about this in the Music and Money webinar, is, you know, look, the shopping center experience. When you're walking in the shopping center, it's all designed to stimulate your senses, to put you, your mindset in a buying frame of mind. You know, you walk through like Myers, for example, you smell the perfumes, right? It stimulates the, the smell sense, the visuals. It's white, it's bright, it's godly, it's, you know. And then obviously you get to the clothing or the section that you need to get to, but by then you're already prepped, right? So we're doing that in our conversations as salespeople, as, as, as professional musicians who are looking to serve. You're actually strategically knowing what the, I guess, you know, you have an idea, an intention for speaking. You have an intention for speaking, for communicating, as opposed to not setting any intention and just seeing where it flows. And if that's the way you want to live your life and see where things go, then what you'll find is other people who do have certain clarity are the leaders. We talked about this with Yash in the market. You know, Yash was, um, can I use this example of the release thing? Waiting till the perfect moment to release. How many of you out there just are waiting till the perfect moment to release your song? So, you know, you actually have this brilliant EDM track. What's it called? Um, Vulnerable. Right? I listen to it. I'm like, great, let's release. Right? He's like, oh, I'm probably about a year. I'm like, what? Why would you wait a year? It, it, you know, so obviously you're not the only one. And same with myself in starting a business and launching products and programs and all that. If you wait till it's perfect, you've waited too long. By then, the technology is outdated. Everyone else is leading the market now. And right? we talked about leaders. So it's, it's, it's a marathon. Think about all your, your, your people that are essentially doing what you're doing at your age at 19, also trying to you know, be the leaders. Your job is to lead, to be so far ahead that these are essentially you know, people around, I guess, your age and a few years younger look up to you and <coughs> you can offer them the skills and the tools to get to level 10, right? That's where you become a real mentor and an asset. In, in Mate, if I can throw this out further, is um, I understand the idea of wanting to have the perfect track. <coughs> I get it. Trust me, I get it. Um, but if the track's done, you know, what you want to do is you want to get rid of that 10-month-old baby. You want to put that out there. 
And then while you're going through that with the marketing and stuff like that, you're working on your new album. So I always think like 18 months. And it's, it's, it's weird when you're pushing your last album. All you want to do is talk about what you're working on today. Yeah, that's, that was the year ago. This is the cool stuff. But you've got to get that cycle going. And brother, if I can say this to you, look at, you're 19? Say what? Oh, damn. You got me. That's great. Well, if, if, if you look at it this way, if you look at an album, yeah, big time. Yeah. If you look at an album or work as a diary of a time, <laughs> Sorry. it doesn't have to be the most complete. And it won't be. You're going to get better just by default. But it's a diary of a time. And then you just create creating these diaries of your life experience. That kind of frees me from having to have this perfect crystalline album each time. I still bust it to try to make it perfect. But I also I get to a point that I let it go. I don't come from a family background that was a musician. So they have that, um, uh, not what they grew up with. Um, you know, it's risky for them because they have expectations from me as well. Now, are you planning on going to uni to be a musician? No, so they won't. So I kind of got over that. Um, uh, like I know, so what I'm learning here is with what I would be learning in uni as well, but I would be learning more here anyway. But what my parents want me to do is go to uni and learn, uh, and study in, in, in an area which is not music. So oh, that one. Something else. And who else is sort of experienced this at some point? Guys, let's I've had honest. friends yep. who have dealt with one, that. Wow, two, oh, there's a, three, oh, beautiful four. people. Oh, I get no. it. Parents, no. yep. Cool. <laughs> so let's say half of the... the the population out there is experiencing the same issue. Let's talk about this yeah, issue. Yeah, I, I think, and, and your parents have a point. Like, I understand, you know. Look, if you were going to go into geology, or I would say if you're going to go into, um, you know, nuclear fission or laser surgery, you know, if you go to uni, it's, those aren't things you can do entrepreneurially and start your own business. You have to work with the institutions, and I get it. And I think one of that's one of the reasons why we exist right now is because your parents are kind of right. If you do go to uni for a music degree, you know, and you don't have these other skills, you know, hopefully you have the determination to learn of everything that we learned as far as being good people in marketing through your own determination, which took me 15 years and it sounds like it took him 10. And so that's what we're doing is we're filling that niche. So like, okay, you do want to have a music career. You do want to do this. Acknowledge that, you know, there isn't a pipeline for a solvent vocation through uni. That's, we're filling that gap. That's why we're here. And my attitude is, if you go to uni, great, you know, but if you really want to do a music career, I would say, hang out with us 12 weeks, eight, I don't know exactly how long it is, give it a go and see what happens. Yeah, so with a lot of these programs that I went through, you know, they, they lasted a weekend or a week. And what I realize is a lot of people coming out of those, we call them personal development junkies. They just get, they, yeah. they love the environment of learning and being with other people learning. But the, the, when they came out, they were unplugged from that reality back into the normal grind and would not implement any of this stuff, right? So you still have people kind of like a union who go to uni, implement the skills and take what they can and use it. But it's a lot more intense, you know, and I, I realized, okay, what I was going to do is offer the obviously personal development for musicians and tailor it and gear it towards them and what they need. Um, 
but stretch it out because it takes 28 days to build a new habit. So intention setting is the first habit I work with people to, to start to master. How do you set an intention? Has anyone consciously set an intention? Like, did you walk in today setting an intention? It's a silent voice in your mind that walks in that kind of, you know, as you're walking in, you're going, okay, I want to, yeah, I want to listen, I want to learn. That's, that's what I'm talking about. But you consciously set that as opposed to just waiting for a moment every 10 years that pops into your mind. That, that's a habit that can be trained. Right? You have to have intentions going into meetings with people. You have to have intentions going into pitch to a venue. What's your intention? Right? If, you're, if you don't have one, guess what? They've got more certainty. They're just going to be like, whatever. You don't have intention. If you're not certain, I'm not certain. There's no value here. Uh, there's more value back in the bar. See how that works? Right, so setting intentions and, and building habits. And so what I did essentially is I stretched it out to 20 weeks. I thought, no, one weekend, there's no way people are going to be implementing this stuff. And so, you know, and I hold, I hold your hand. Martin is here. Michelle, we've got a whole team now that does this. Hence the reason why we're called mentors. We're not just teachers. We really mentor you in the personal aspects that you need to, to build these new habits. So, yeah, um, 20 weeks. Um, but, you know, I, I do offer, you know, a, a lot more than that than just that. But once you're ready to, you know, understand, and like, for example, sharing your story publicly, are you frightened about next week? Do you feel a bit like... Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, and all the other people, there's a few online that graduated, know what it's like to share their story. And I know, I know what it's like as well. It's the most one of the most frightening but liberating experiences because you realize for the first time when you share your story, you've affected someone's life and you've inspired them just by being you. That's the first time ever that I realized, wow, I don't have to try to be someone. I can just share my story. You know, when I was suicidal at 16, going to university, having expectations was a second turning point. You know, independence, moving from Gold Coast back down to Melbourne, living alone, grinding it, all that sort of stuff. And then my next turning point was 26 when I discovered personal development. Right? I share that story almost every day and people connect with it. Right? And so and I've built essentially what I do today and I've been able to pass these tools that were passed to me through telling stories. But um, this is, you know when there's a, there's a big challenge and there's a big fear, you know there's a massive breakthrough on the other side. How, how many of you understand that concept? You, you, like going to the gym, you, you, you know you've got to get in pain a little bit to, to really expand and grow your muscle volume and get bigger, right? There has to be that threshold. And they, you don't want to go too far because you cause damage, but you, didn't, you, don't, you don't want to be fully supported and just have a trainer that says, oh, yeah, it's all right, don't worry about your squats today. Let's have a coffee. Don't worry about it. Right? That's not going to make you grow. You want that equal support and challenge, and they call it eustress. It's positive stress, right? So we're always, as mentors, trying to find that balance, right? But we know we've got to be real. We've got to, this is a really frightening thing. Like all of our mentors have gone through this. What you're going through today, uh, next week, Emily, all our mentors here have gone through this. And now they understand it. And, it's, and they, they also came where, where you were coming from as well, as musicians stuck in the craft, all about their craft. And never, a lot of them had never written a mission statement, never written goals. And now they're just... We're all like, you know, sharing the latest podcast and, and cutting edge kind of personal development technologies and 
you know, philosophies. This is brilliant. We're all thriving and growing together, supporting and challenging each other to become better versions of ourselves. And you want to also surround yourself with the five people that will do that. Right? And this is why I created the mastermind for musicians. Right? So it's surrounding yourself with people who will support and challenge you to become a better version of yourself. And you, know, that's, and you don't just want one person doing that. You want to be consciously going, I want to be spending time with you, with Martin, with this guy here. He's a winner. He's an action taker. She's a really intelligent girl. I'm going to be surrounding myself with them because it's been proven that when you, when you surround yourself with those people, you're a product of that. You're an average of the five people. Now, if it's your mum and your dad and your brother and a, and a friend, you know what I mean? Like, you obviously, you love your parents no matter what. They love you no matter what. But this is about you now. And your, your parents, more than anything, want you to grow to become the best version of yourself. It's your responsibility to go out and find those people, to make those decisions. You know, and I've heard a lot of stories of, you know, um, teenagers and young adults, you know, sort of having to choose their values or their parents' values. I'm working with a client at the moment. I don't want to name names again, but she's opening a dance school, reopening a dance school because she went through a period in her 20s where she felt really judged um, and that was limiting her potential. So she went back into the corporate world working in administration and this year she, she just, she had enough. She realized that she was not following her highest values, that she was following someone else's highest values, and she realized no amount of money in the world was worth you know, that scenario. And now I'm helping her build a business up. And she's so enthusiastic, inspired her posts. You know, she's, she's, she's vi- um, thriving, and, and she's so vibrant. And peop- do you think people want to buy from that vibrancy? Do you think people want to join her dance classes and be part of that? Right, because she's in the right energy. She's in the right mindset. She's got clarity. She's got inspiration. Same with you know what you were saying before. You want to be around people that that are um, yeah vibrating on that energy because we're naturally drawn to those frequencies. So um, I know you have got some pretty tough decisions to make, man. But you, you you really the only person that can put yourself first is you, and it's and it's your obligation. I want to do something because I come from a cultural background where you know, your parents are the right people. They tell you to do something, you do that. Yeah. So how do I tackle that? Because I've tried, you know, talking to my parents about you know doing stuff that I want. Um, not necessarily doing the specific things. Um, and their reaction is like, oh no, you have to do it for us. So how do I tackle that? Thing? Do you want to just rephrase the question and answer that one? Yeah, that's that. That's a that's a difficult one. So the question that you're asking is, you know, by your culture, your parents dictate to what you do for a vocation, and uh, you're standing here in the 21st century saying, "This is my passion. This is my vocation. This is what I want to do." I feel like we're having one of those conversations about like arranged marriages or not. You know, like what do you do here? God, I mean, since you're asking me. I mean, my thing is this. What I would do is I would probably go to university and get a degree. Your parents are probably helping you pay for it, and I'd go that route. But I would definitely, you know, ancestors, self, family, community. That's really the hierarchy of what should be important in your life. And so I would make sure that I'm honoring my parents, but they were second, you know, and I am first. And, you know, you might not be going to uni for music. You know, and you might have to wait till you're done. And that's where it's like, I think the things like, 
You know, Universal Scoop Music is exciting because it's not $100,000 for four years. It's this concentrated effort and time to get you to this point. And what I would say to your parents is I'd be like, look, I really want to honor you and let's have that conversation. But I really want to honor this aspect of myself, too. So how do we can get a chord? You know, is this something you do during your summer? Is it during the nights? Is it, you know, you take a, what do they take, a leap year or whatever? So you take a year off mm-hmm. before you go to uni, but you pay for it. I don't, I think you guys do that in Australia. They do it in America. Mm-hmm. And then you hang out with us as an intensive. You make a deal. That's what yeah. you want. It's the first deal you're making. Yeah. But again. Right. Yeah. And, and so s- it gives you a year. and a pre- Like if you make this deal, I made a deal with my parents about my first piano. They wanted me to do traditional dancing. European, I won't mention. Oh, snap. European dancing, right? <laughs> For a year. I was like, and I'll, we'll get you the piano if you commit to that. I'm like, deal. I did it. Yeah, kind of enjoyed it, but it wasn't for me. I really steer away from a lot of that stuff. Love ancient history, don't get me wrong, ancient culture, but I was just not into it, right? And I got my piano, and man, I was on that piano three, four hours a day, and they were like, okay, that was a good deal. Yep. But I, you know, I, I was so clear and adamant about the results I was going to get on that thing that I loved it. You know, I knew that I loved it, and I'd try to listen to other instruments prior to, you know, before 11. But do you think my parents were happy? They, they were really, really happy. Because, man, I was like, in six months, I was playing, you know, Mozart and while the other kids were playing Twinkle Twinkle, right? And I was, because I put in the hours, I was so interested. And I bought a piano, I got a piano in my own home. Like, it was like my baby. And, um, and now I'm making a living doing, you know, it started at that point. But I think if you can work with us, Yash, and set some clear, tangible goals and kind of prove that you've made some money. Money talks, man. And when, when, when parents sort of see that you've got 5000 in the bank from your gigs, their perception starts to change a little bit. You can still be doing uni and doing weekend gigs, right, and still do that transition that a lot of people do working full-time. As I said, there's 12, 14 hour days. Get healthy, get your mind in gear, eat good food so you can last 12 to 13 to 14 hours and and, and create the, the long-term plan on how you're going to transition into this. You know, we're setting goals with like 16-year-olds now. Last year, I know Ali who won the scholarship, $1,000. We started with $1,000, right? She, she hit that goal. Congratulations. This year, it's 2000 doesn't matter how much. What matters is that she's sit, setting monetary goals and it's realistic so that's that's pretty cool. I hope we gave you at least an option, you know, for discourse, you know. Yeah, it's cool. All right. Well, um, I think we're probably going to wrap it up soon. If there are any other questions online before we finish up, um, Devin asks another question, just a quick one. In your opinion, are gimmicks like costumes a legitimate way of being unique or a cheap way? Oh, I love that question. Jack, can I take that one? Yeah, of course you can. Okay, cool. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm from New England, which is the east part of uh, America, and it's where the pilgrims came. So, you know, and we don't ever dress up, you know, I never really owned any ties, and I used to always think, ah, you know, it's about the music, you know, it's not about, it's not about what I'm dressing up as. And... Um, it is the 21st century, and we're doing video, and we're doing photos. We're not just buying albums. And I do think that your aesthetic 
you know, it does have a large part to do with it. Um, if it's, you want to get into the costuming and all that kind of thing, really not my ride. I'm really a musician at heart. You know, that's really what turns me on, you know, either getting behind the board or getting behind my instrument. But I do believe that you should look refined. I do believe you should look a, just a step different. So when you walk into the room and you got a club gig, somebody knows that's a musician. They're a little different. You know, something that gives you that sense of professionalism. Miles Davis and Charlie Parker and all those guys doing jazz, they wore the zoot suits. You know, they dressed up and they looked good. And it kind of gave them a sense of dignity. And in my band that I have right now, my thing is, you know, we all got to wear black clothes. You know, I wear a black suit, black tie, black thing because I'm the band leader. Everybody else, I don't care. We have some kind of theme that ties us together. So I do think that aesthetics are important. I don't think you have to go crazy. Um, but I think when there's a bunch of ragged guys up there, you know, or a bunch of ragged women that don't look unique, if my first interaction with you is a video or a visual, you know, make it so that I continue to listen to the music. Usually when I check out an artist first, I Google their name, I look at all their stuff going on, then I look at the visuals, then I look in the music in that order. So if I don't see anything posted online about you and I see your photos and I see you look like a civilian and you haven't taken the time, you know, I got this... I got a lot of things to do. I'm probably not even going to push play. Yeah. And uh, let's be honest, if someone finds out about an artist, who goes to Google or a musician or anyone that they you know, see that there's some form of value, who goes to Google and does the due diligence and researches them? First thing. Yeah. Yep, right. 90%. So when I realized this, say five, seven years ago, right. I went to Google, typed my name in Google, realized all the listings my name was under, went to them, strategically made sure that whatever was there would portray the image and the message that I'm sharing. So when people go through their experience and spending the exact experience you I through. did that to you today. I did it. Then I hit images. Right. I saw you performing and doing all this stuff. Yeah. This so I know exactly what images he's seeing because yeah. I've gone and done that, right? And you can, you, you know, it doesn't cost money to do this, by the way, guys. Everything that we're talking about so far does not cost money, right? The, 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 you have to understand, like, the, the things that cost money, registering a website, uh, you know, domain name, those sorts of things, photos, quality photos, but you can kind of do a lot of that stuff and get started by yourself. I mean, look, you're a web developer. Here we go. Opportunities around you. He's looking for some free pro bono work to get his, you know, portfolio up so that one day he can do an internship at USM and manage our website and other clients and, and make money in the EDM world and, and do gigs and as a downhill skater and all that stuff, yeah? He, sell, he just sold you better than you sold yourself to me. That was good. <laughs> Just have him be your manager. That was great. So, and the, the thing is, guys, you know, Martin's here, you know, presenting, or presenting you guys the opportunity to, for him to help you source work, right? But please understand, don't be dependent on Martin. Don't be dependent on me. We want to give you the tools to be able to steer that boat. So Big you time. know, hey... You wake up, you look at your list of prospects today, and you call and you go, hey, how you doing, man? Look, I was just researching your, your, you know, your company. Um, if you've got a couple of minutes, I want to talk to you about something that can add value to your business, that can increase your revenue by tenfold or you know, build, uh, bring in an extra 30, 30 clients at your venue. I'm interested. Keep right. talking. You're thinking about right. them. Absolutely. But you've done your research. 